Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we are going to hear from Liam Dobson and Paul Boudreaux of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Talk about some special team stuff ahead of Friday's game against BC. And then talk to Jamie Bettens and preview the World Series on the podcast. More Blue Bomber content because I'm now at practices and I get to interview players at the practices. And one of my focuses was on special teams today. Talk to Mike O'Shea a bit about it. Also want to talk to Paul Boudreau, special teams coordinator, because Jerry Williams had 341 return yards last game. So I talked to him about it. Coming off the bye week, do you spend a lot of time watching film of what happened against BC last game? Uh, yeah, I mean, you look every week and kind of have your own little Rolodex on what teams have done to you in the past and what you need to get better at. So, yeah, you watch the film and then you move on, you know, time we got the same opponent, so it's not like they're reinventing the wheel. I would don't, I don't think. And so, yeah, I mean, you watch it, you learn from it, and try to fix it. So, what did you learn from what Terry Williams did last time around? Uh, it was a combination of stuff. Um, some balls not in the right place, some missed tackles, some misfits, and versus a good returner, that's what happens. So, you know, it's nothing we haven't seen before. I mean, he's a good returner, so. Yeah, we got to work cut out again for us this week. When Liam Dobson makes a, a tackle like he made in that game, is there a lot of celebration on the sideline? Uh, maybe not on the sideline. Uh, there was a little more maybe watching the film in the meeting. Um, on the field, you just, you know, we didn't make a field goal and we had an old lineman try to have to make a tackle. So that's kind of an in-game thing. I think the guys got a little bit, Gave him a little razzing after in the in a team meeting. But, of course, when you have to make a tackle on a missed field goal return, it's not a great thing because the field goal was missed. Correct. Yep. Yeah, so that's that's one of the things you got to worry about if you miss a field goal is you got a handful of offensive linemen running down trying to make a play on a on a skilled guy, a talented returner. So that's that's always one of the pitfalls of missing. When Mark has a game like that where he misses three field goals, he's been a very good all season, but when he has a bit of an off game, do you have any different conversation with him, or how do you handle that? Tell him make the fourth one, you know? Like, uh, you know, he understands that uh, we, one of them at the end of the half was probably just out of his range, but, you know, we were able to stop a squib kick from getting further down the field, and we able to put ourselves in a chance to possibly kick a long field goal. Um, but, yeah, he's just got to kind of move on to the next kick. you gotta, you got to kind of erase your memory and, and just focus on the next task at hand when the next kick comes and, you know, hone in on your, your footwork and, and trust the process. And you found he's done that well this year, bouncing back? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, he's, uh, he's been able to move on fairly quickly. Um, this game he had two longer field goals uh, one I don't think he struck very well um, and I think he just mishit the, the, the 40 whatever it was 45 yarder um, but yeah, yeah for the most part I would say he's done a pretty good job of even on a make of just getting ready for the next kick and moving on from there that is Paul Boudreau, special teams coordinator of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And one of the special teams plays of the game in BC a couple weeks ago was made by Liam Dobson, the 6'2", 314-pound offensive lineman. 
in his rookie CFL season. Made a shoestring tackle on Terry Williams after one of the missed field goals. And I had to ask him about it. When you see a, a field goal get missed as an offensive lineman, what's going through your head? Oh, you know, coach always tells us get down and stay square. So uh, that's simply what I try to do. But I saw him start to break to the outside. So I was just like, go try to cut him off. So when watching the film, it looks like you're quite a bit away from him when he catches the ball. Are you thinking that you have a chance to get him? Oh, uh, you know, you never want to give up on a football player. So you always want to think you got to go make the play. Uh, know your teammates are going to be there with you. So I was just running down the field uh, knowing I got to get to the guy with the ball. And when did you decide to dive? Um, I decided to dive when I thought he was going to slip through my hands and I knew I couldn't let him get by. How many tackles have you made in your life? I used to play D-lines. I actually made a couple. That was back in uh, high school, though. I think I had three or four in college, you know, on interceptions. Kind of similar situation, kind of chasing the guy down and reaching for his ankles. But but in terms of special teams tackles? First one, for sure. First special teams tackle in my career right there. What was the reaction to that play on the sideline? Oh, uh, you know, at first I was running off the field. I didn't even notice Dakota in the video. He just patted me on the shoulder when, when I was jogging off the field. Um, and then it's kind of a similar thing, kind of guys on the sideline, good job, nice job, stuff like that. But, you know, it was a play. We go, everyone goes out there and makes them. And uh, have you, how much have you watched the clip over and over again? Have you watched it at all? I've watched it once or twice. I was on the phone with my mom the other day, and she said she watches it daily, though. So is that the highlight of your season, then? Oh, no, you know. It's a, it's a good one for sure. Lots of great memories my rookie year, but playing each game with my teammates is a, is a good memory for sure too. Liam Dobson, who was surprised to, to talk to me today because the way that it works at Blue Bomber practice, I learned today, is they've got a, a whiteboard that they write down all the player requests on. I don't think he even looked at it because he hasn't been interviewed much as a reserve offensive lineman, but I appreciate him taking the time to talk to me today. The Astros and the Phillies will meet in Texas on Friday with both teams advancing on Sunday. The Astros sweeping the Yankees. The Phils riding a Bryce Harper go-ahead homer in the eighth to beat the Padres in five. And here to preview the action is former MJBL commissioner Jamie Bettens. And Jamie, before we get into the matchup, I have to remind our listeners that your World Series prediction a few weeks ago was Blue Jays versus Dodgers. Oops. Uh, did you have anything to say for yourself? Absolutely nothing at this point. I'm uh, quite disappointed, still reeling a little bit over the Blue Jays and their performance. But uh, yikes. <laughs> what, a, what a postseason we've had nonetheless. Absolutely. I mean, it's been kind of a tale of two leagues through this point in the postseason because the Houston Astros have been an absolute juggernaut. The Mariners have, were fun, and the, you know, the Yankees-Guardian series was interesting, but Houston has been untouchable. Then on the other side of things, you had a Phillies-Padres NLCS, and the Phillies keep cooking. What do you make of the matchup we've got here between uh, an Astros team that has been great all year and a Phillies team that was the last team to clinch a playoff spot? You, You know, when I look at it from the outset, I do see some similarities between both clubs in that they're both teams. And what I mean by that is cohesive unit. You know, Houston didn't have to make a bunch of trades and pickups. They kind of had their unit. They knew they had the division under control and taken care of. And, and the Phillies banded together through the postseason to become a really tight cohesive unit. And I think that that's how you're seeing both teams as kind of that last group standing. 
So let's start with the Astros because they are the prohibitive favorite. They have not lost in the postseason. They went 3-0 against the Mariners, though Game 3 took 18 innings, so it's almost a full extra game in there. And then they they took care of the Yankees in pretty dominant fashion. The pitching was unhittable uh, until Game 4 when the Yankees got five runs, but then Houston got six. So is there any weakness on this Houston team? There doesn't appear to be at this point. It really seems like they've got everything dialed in. Good pitching beats good hitting. We certainly made that comment before. Uh, but the bats are clutch. When you have Greg batting middle to the bottom of your order, that tells you a lot about the team that Houston is, that's for sure. So Houston always will have this cloud of the 2017 cheating scandal hanging over them. That was the one World Series that they were able to win. They've been to now three others in that time frame. If they're unable to win this series against Philly, and the only one they will have is the one that's been tainted, how much does that further damage the legacy of this franchise? I think it does take them down a notch. I certainly think it will affect some of those players that may become Hall of Famers someday. Um, it doesn't do anything for someone like Dusty Baker who came in after the fact, but for, for that group, for that core group that stayed around and even Springer and Korea, I, I think it still follows them around. They still hear booze everywhere they go and baseball fans have long memories for that kind of stuff. But if they are to win it, they flip the narrative, do they not? Because this is, a team now that's since then still been the best team in baseball outside of the Dodgers. I think you'll still have naysayers and people that will second guess, wondering if they're still employing something. I think that's a very small majority, and you have to give credit to Dusty Baker and this team for winning it uh, under the baseball premises and not any kind of cheating scandal. And let's go to the National League now, where the Philadelphia Phillies who were down 2 nothing going to the t- top of the ninth in game one against the St. Louis Cardinals. And they scored six runs in that inning. They win that game. They win that series. They beat the Braves in four. They beat the Padres in five. Do the math. They are 9-2 and two in the postseason. Is this a case of a team just getting hot at the right time, or is it something more than that? I think it is. I, I think they had injuries throughout the whole season. Bryce Harper missed a lot of time. Castellanos missed a lot of time. A lot of their lineup had to be carried by Schwarber for the most season. And now you're seeing them play as a unit. And by just being thrown into the fire and responding, they've learned how to win, and they have that formula. And they hit a lot of homers. Yes, which seems to be, if there is an Achilles heel maybe to this offense versus the Houston pitching, that might be that. You can't manufacture against Houston. You may run into problems. Uh, I'm not saying that could lead to any kind of sweep, but it could be an Achilles heel that's uh, an underlying point for this series. How much fun, though, have the Phillies been to watch in these home games where they won all three at home against uh, the Padres? They won both games at home against the Braves. They haven't lost at home this postseason. We know Philly fans are wild. But when they're hitting bombs, when Reese Hoskins, who's batting 182 in the playoffs, he's just 8 for 44, but five of those eight hits are home runs. How much fun is that to watch, just as an objective baseball observer? I just think the sports landscape, Philadelphia has the best fans when you're winning and probably the worst fans when you're not. The Eagles doing well, the 
Flyers off to a bit of a start. You've got the Phillies now doing what they're doing. 76ers exciting to get the NBA started. What a feverish time to be in Philadelphia. And the fans are a total representation of that. And I really feel this is the Bryce Harper story and that everybody's kind of pulling for him at this point. Yeah, let's talk about Bryce Harper because he hits the decisive home run, bottom of the eighth, they're down by one, it flips it on its head, and 10 minutes later, they're going to the World Series, and they were losing at the time. He's had an amazing postseason to this point. He's batting 419, 18 for 43, with five homers, 11 RBI, only seven strikeouts. This is a player that has been hyped since before he was drafted. He's been paid a lot of money by this team, and the Washington Nationals won the World Series the year he left Washington. Is this how big a moment has this been for Bryce Harper? And has he vindicated all the hype just by even getting to the World Series? I think he's close. I don't know if he's fully vindicated that yet, but I think he's very close. This is prime of an example as you're going to see of a player taking the team on his shoulders and carrying them as far as he can. Hoskins hitting home runs, Schwarber hitting home runs, getting good pitching from Nola and from the others. But make no bones about it, if Philly is going to win the World Series, it's going to be with Bryce Harper leading the way. So do they have to out-hit the Astros then? I think they have to. I think that's that's their calling card. Houston seems to have the starting pitching. I think Philly has a bit of a bullpen edge, but Houston just keeps rolling guys out that can shut down. They haven't lost the game yet. It's pitching versus hitting. So if Philly's going to win, it's got to be hitting. Zach Wheeler, though, has been really good so far this postseason in four starts, a 1.78 ERA, a big league high 25 and a third innings pitched, only five runs allowed and one homer. That's it. They're going to have to, I think, get good distance out of their starting pitching in this series. And I just don't think that they're going to have the edge with the arms. I think they're going to have to be able to hit homers off the Houston pitchers. You're just not able to string together hits on them. So I'm feeling like it's unlikely Philadelphia wins this series. What say you? Well, I think everybody has sung this song when Philly played in the first series. And then when they went on to San Diego and then when they moved on here, it's just, a narrative that won't go away. Philly just won't quit. They are now confident in themselves. They have their their group that is so tightly wound right now. Um, maybe they're hard to stop from last time. So who's your pick then? I have to think it's Houston, but I would love to see Philadelphia take this one. But I, but I will stick with Houston. They're just too good. It doesn't take a lot of courage to pick Houston. Like it I, sure doesn't. It seems <laughs> like they're the best team, and sometimes the best team just wins, right? Some We saw 2018, the Red Sox were far and away the best team, and they won the World Series in five, and that was it. And We'll see what happens here, but I'm hoping that it's at least entertaining. The fact that it starts on Friday kind of stinks, doesn't it? Because the you get the whole week here of buildup, but... Baseball does this months in advance. They set the postseason schedule months in advance. Why do they do that? I'm not sure. You know, the NFL has Super Bowl week, which certainly leads to a lot of hype and a lot of revenue at the same time. But you just don't see that in the major leagues. It's just not the opportunity. You don't know who's going to be in the grand finale until, you know, a few days before. It's great from a rest perspective. So the Players Association obviously likes it. Um, from the fans' perspective, 
perspective, they should like it because now the matchups are exactly what the coaches want them to be. But uh, it falls a little bit flat in terms of, you know, really garnering that excitement that a World Series should when you have to wait for it. Well, speaking of rest, Houston's barely played in the month of October, right? That you go back to the end of the regular season. Ironically, they finished against the Phillies and took two of three. None of us, I think, at the time realized that was going to be the World Series matchup. So October 5th, they finished the regular season. They play Seattle on the 11th, 13th, and 15th. Yankees 19th, 20th, 22nd, 23rd. So they've played seven games since October 5th. Their next game is October 28th. That's wild. And still undefeated to that point. Yeah. You would think that there was perfect prime opportunity for them to drop their focus or lose one game, but they just keep doing it. And that's why like I'm telling you it's going to be a bit of a walk for Houston. Maybe maybe five games, maybe six. I think I'm rooting for Philly. I don't necessarily love the Phillies, but I can't bring myself to cheer for the Astros. I just love to see Bryce Harper become that one man wrecking crew and step into that legendary status that has been boasted upon him since he was about 15 years old. Yeah, that would be fun. I, I agree. It's kind of like watching Ovechkin finally win the, the Stanley Cup back in, in 2019, right? I, I feel like there's some parallels there. 2018, pardon me. Absolutely. That's kind of the same way I'm looking at it as well. Well, Jamie, hopefully it's entertaining. Wish you the, the best of uh, luck watching the series as a neutral observer. Hopefully the wounds heal up from your Blue Jays loss, and uh, we'll talk to you after the World Series is done. Thank you. Take care. Jamie Benton's former commissioner of the MJBL. Not sure why I said good luck. Sometimes I say things, and because normally I'm talking to an athlete, and it's like, best of luck going forward, blah, blah, blah. And we all say things, and we're like, why do we say that? I just get paid to talk, so I'm constantly self-analyzing. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course. That is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. Come on, and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all, but